Say it for me, baby. Foresight. Say it one more time. Foresight. Foresight. Do you have it or are you lacking? This is the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast. I'm here. Silence here. We're going to get right into it because it's been a little while. So sit back, relax, and let's go. You hear the music, that means only one thing. The Chicago Grown Folk Podcast is on the air for the fall of 2023. Here's what you missed. Now, this incident happened at a Krispy Kreme donut shop. According to this, now it says a woman told police she was waiting in line for her food when a man and a woman began arguing with the employee at the drive-thru window. The employee who was arguing with the customers told the officers they had initially ordered a type of donut the store didn't have. When he told them they didn't have the type of donut, he said the customer replied, why do you have such an attitude about it? So the employee told the customers, he said, look, order donuts that we have or don't order at all. Well, after he said that, the pair of customers got out of their car, they came in the lobby, they started yelling it. Before you know it, a fight starts to break out. It said, according to witnesses, another employee came over and tried to stop the two, but was shoved to the ground and hit his head on the concrete floor. Both people injured in the fight were taken to the hospital for treatment. No further details are available about this story. Last year, more than 300,000 Americans reported having fallen for a phone-based smishing scam, short for SMS phishing. All right, so you got phishing and you got smishing. And all of it is on the rise, according to this article. And it's no wonder why. Check this out here. It says, with these 321,000 Americans that have fallen for these uh, smishing scams, it said it created total losses of over $326 million. And that's according to data from the Federal Trade Commission. So there's no wonder this stuff is on the rise. I mean, these people are making millions of bucks off of folks. They don't reveal who the student is in this article, but what the student did was told the teacher and the teacher informed the police. So what the police did was they got a search warrant to check this idiot out. And good thing they did, because what wound up happening was it says when they went to his house and they said they went in this place, man, and they found 663 rounds of nine millimeter ammo, 425 rounds for an AK-47 and nearly 300 for an AR-15. And if that wasn't enough, he also had 225 shotgun rounds. An internal spiritual evolution has already begun. Say what? Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the 49th episode of the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast. I am E, your host for the podcast. That's one letter. E. So that should be easier for y'all to remember. And on the other side of the room, we have none other than the silent DJ. Look where I'm at if you're soft, you're lost.
Uh, switched it up on me, huh? <laughs> His job is to keep us on point. And that's what he's going to do. And he also assists with the technical things, so on and so forth. I mean, you guys know the drill. We've been recording 10 years. And just for the record, we here at the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast are not on. That's right. There's no dusting going on up here. We are clean, serene, and sober for this 49th podcast. Now, what we do on this podcast, we talk a lot of society and culture issues. We're not a podcast that has a lot of explicit or ratchet material. We don't do celebrity gossip up here. I mean, this is not TMZ, Lipstick Alley, Page Six, Entertainment Tonight, and there's nothing wrong with any of those programs, but they do what they do, and we do what we do. There's enough celebrity chasing going on out there, so we figured we don't need to add to that. We're just a couple of guys here in Chicago recording a podcast talking about all this chaos that is going on in the world in 2023. And to our frequent listeners that come back and check us out on a regular basis, thank you. You guys are the reason that Silent and I come up here and continue to record this podcast. Just a few moments ago, you heard me talking about Angel Dust. I said this on a previous podcast. When it comes to modern day drug culture in this country, I am totally ignorant to the drug scene, meaning I don't know what the preferred drug of choice is. And I'm not talking about I'm talking about hard drugs. I'm not talking about like marijuana. You know, I mean, I've been hearing various things about fentanyl and pill popping and and then they got something called a zombie drug. I don't know what demographic is doing what particular drug. I have been hearing stories about people lacing um, heroin with fentanyl. So I hear little things here and there. But overall, I'm clueless as to what goes on with the drug culture in this country. But I brought all of that up to say this. What I noticed around here lately, I don't know how long this has been going on, but there is some drug that people are taking. I don't know what the hell it's called or what, what's the deal with it. There is something that these people out here are taking. I've seen an increase of this where people are kind of standing around on the street and they're just bobbing and weaving and flaring their arms and talking loudly to themselves and sometimes they're dancing. And so they're clearly tripping off of something, you know. I've been seeing an older crowd and a younger crowd doing it. So there is something out here that these people are taking. I don't know if they're smoking marijuana and is laced with something and these people aren't aware what they're smoking. I just saw a young girl recently. She was wandering around just fussing at nobody. You know, she was out just fussing and hollering and, you know, she was a young girl and she was just fussing and hollering. And I'm thinking, man, what is she tripping on? I saw a guy, a young guy, he was dancing in the street and bobbing his head and dreads just flying all over the place. And I'm like, man, what is going on with these people? And I've seen older people do it. They walk around and holler and dancing and it sounds like they're having a good time in their head and then they're cussing and they it's like they go through a range of emotions you know so again i don't know what they're taking but i've seen an increase of it and i'm gonna tell you man in this day and age with all the information that we have out here i don't know why anybody would be messing around with any of this stuff you know i mean if people want to smoke a little marijuana here and there i can understand that or take a drink or something but 
but all this other stuff that I mean, I wouldn't have no parts of it. And the thing about it, when you're buying drugs off the street, especially weed, you don't know what these people are lacing it with. You're thinking you're smoking a little marijuana and before you know it, you're running around tripping off some stuff and you don't even know what the hell you're putting in your system, you know? And as ruthless as these people are now to make a dollar bill, I mean, these people selling this stuff on the street, they'll put anything in it to get you hooked and come back as long as they're making some money, you know? But again, because I'm ignorant to a lot of this stuff nowadays, I don't know what this stuff is, but, um, and it could just be a local thing. I don't know, but I seriously doubt it. By the way, this is our opening rambling segment where I'm not really talking about a whole lot, just rambling on. For those who might be just cruising through for the first time, this podcast is broken up into segments. And you'll know that because there's a little bit of gap in between segments. You'll hear a little bit of music playing before I get into the next topic. And the purpose for that is to kind of give a little break for my voice and to kind of get prepared for the next segment. Uh, that's probably where we would stick the advertisements if we had that. And that's not to say that we won't in the future, but right now this podcast is ad free, but there are gaps in between segments. Every time there's a new segment, you hear a gap, you hear a little music, and then, then the next topic will come up. Now, most people will probably just hit the fast forward button and just go on through, but that's what's going on. And because this podcast typically runs about two hours. We always encourage people to maybe, you know, listen to it in stages. I mean, you can listen to open and rambling and then the next segment and and then put it on hold and come back later. And because we don't put podcasts out frequently, so you got a little bit of time to digest this one before the next one comes out. So just throwing that out there. Well, with all that being said, I mean, it's been a while since we've been up here to record. I mean, the last podcast we put out was back in, uh, I mean, summer hadn't even hit yet, and now summer's kind of come and gone, and we're just now getting back up here to record. We had actually gotten together back in end of June, July, somewhere around up in there, July. Got together to record, and um, we get up here, we get everything set up, and we couldn't record because we had a bad Thunderbolt cable. Now, this particular cable has been giving us a little bit of problem for a little while, but typically it would kick in and start to work. So we didn't think anything about it. Got up here to record back in July and the thing just said, nope, I'm done. Because normally we have to wait for it to kind of kick in and work. Nah, man. I mean, it just said, you know what? You got your use out of me. I'm done. It's a wrap. And as a result, we couldn't record our podcast all because of a Thunderbolt cable, Uh, which by the way, these things are not cheap. They cost about what? 40 bucks I had to pay. So we had to wrap it up and that was the end of it. So now we got to reschedule and and between silence work schedule and mine and trying to get together and record a podcast. I mean, that was so that was what the delay was about. It was a bad Thunderbolt cable, which, again, we should have just went on ahead and got one when it first started going bad. But then the thing about it, I got to make a trip now to Best Buy and I don't even know, like all the Best Buys that I used to go to are, are they're gone. And if you can find one, I mean, it's, it, I'm surprised to even find one still in existence. And the one I wound up going into out there in uh, North Riverside, I mean, I walked in there and it's almost like a ghost town. So they're probably holding on by a thread too. And, and if it's one of these places where people are running in and running out with free merchandise, I mean, there's no telling how much money they're losing on a day-to-day basis. But luckily they're still open. We got a Thunderbolt cable. 
So now we can record. But that's what the delay was about for those that might have been wondering. Wondering, well, when is the next podcast coming out? Yeah, that's what happened. So it is what it is. It's just one of those things. But we're here now, and a lot of stuff has been happening since the last time we came up here to record. Um, and, and I mean, I'm talking about in this city alone, uh, let alone without what's going on in the rest of the country. Something in particular that I wanted to talk about. Now, I don't know how many people have been paying attention to uh, the news. Greg Abbott. Now, I've talked about Greg Abbott on this podcast before. He's the governor of Texas. Shout out to all the people out there in Texas. Uh, you know, this had made news where Greg Abbott and I believe Ron DeSantis was another one. And I and I also believe that there was a, there, a few people were engaging in this thing with sending these migrants to these sanctuary, uh, quote unquote, sanctuary cities. These people that jump up and talk about, well, we're a sanctuary city and blah, 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 blah. Greg Abbott, you know, Greg Abbott said, well, listen, you're a sanctuary city. Here you go, because we don't want them here or we've had enough of them. I mean, I don't know what the. You know, I don't know all the dynamics of what goes on with the migrant situation in Texas, other than I know they don't want them just flooding in and whatever. So Greg Abbott says, well, listen, if you're a sanctuary city, well, here you go. And they start bussing migrants up to Chicago. Now, the thing about these people, when they jump up, the sanctuary city people, when they jump up and say we're a sanctuary city, they're saying it with no plan or no structure in place to house or take care of these migrants in the event that they come here. Now they said it, so he sent them. Now my thing is if you don't have a plan in place, then you probably shouldn't be jumping up saying you're a sanctuary city. These politicians jumped up and said it. Now they're busting migrants here. And whenever I get in my car on my commute to work, I pass a couple of police stations in the city and these migrants are just out there because the city didn't really don't know what to do with them. So they've been kind of trying to stick them in various neighborhoods and you know, converting buildings into migrant stations. And they've been sticking some of them there. And then they've been housing them at police stations. So when you drive past the police stations in the city, there are migrants kind of just milling all over the place. I mean, they seem to be kind of domiciled at these police stations. I'm like, well, is the city just going to leave them there? <laughs> what are they going to do with them? You know, but you ride past the police stations in the city and they're just migrants hanging everywhere. Uh, there's one particular police station where they even have tents. There's a field next to it and they have tents set up in the open field, you know. So it's just like they're just kind of hanging out. And I mean, I don't know what the city intends to do with these folks. They're scrambling, trying to figure out, well, what do we do with them? Folks in these communities have been complaining that uh, the migrants, and when I say migrants, these are human beings, but just for the sake of explaining, these migrants are coming in here and they're, they're keeping up illegal activity. There's been reports of drug usage, prostitution. Uh, what else silent were, were we hearing? Drinking, loud music being played, just all kinds of unruly behavior has been associated with some of these migrants. So now the residents are complaining that, um, they're coming over here and they're not respecting the laws and this, that, and the other. So now you got kind of a us against them, the, the communities. And by the way, the city just, they just, they have these meetings where they claim they're talking to the residents. They ask for your input, but input is just that. 
they're still going to do what they want to do. But again, if these politicians say we're a sanctuary city, I mean, this is kind of what's going to happen. And the thing that I can never really figure out is how can the city of Chicago talk about taking on migrants when they can't even deal with the problems that are already here in existence before these migrants were bust up here? And of course, a lot of this is political. You got the Democrats that are playing to their base and you got the Republicans that are playing to their base. And but like I always say, when these politicians play politics, typically what happens is the people who tend to be affected the most are average everyday blue collar men and women. At the opening of the podcast, we played a clip from one of our previous anger segments where, where there was an issue happening at a donut shop, an argument over a type of donut that led into a physical altercation between customer and employee. And over the past few years in particular, I've seen tons of stories about customers getting into altercations with employees. I've seen the stories. I'm sure you out there listening have seen random stories, people jumping over counters. I talked about a situation that happened on, what was it, at a Burger King, where some idiot was angry at the drive-thru, and he comes in, and he's throwing drinks and crap all over the place, and even wound up assaulting a teenage girl. Another one I remember, there was an irate woman who came in, she was mad because the soup was too hot or something or the other. And she threw the soup in to the worker's face, you know. And so this stuff is going on all across the country. You have people coming in and they're assaulting people just trying to do their jobs. Now, there's no doubt about it. There are some employees who have bad customer service. No doubt about it. But this isn't something that just started happening within the past two to three years. Bad customer service has always been around, but typically what do people do? Let me see the manager. And if you can't get any satisfaction from the manager, then you go to their boss. Nowadays, and I don't know if it's a situation where people just, they don't know how to deal with their issues without assaulting people or I don't know what's behind it, but you have an increase of this stuff. And the problem with all of this, it leads to worker shortages. 
And most of us, and I include myself in this, we walk into these stores and we take for granted that, that we can walk in and grab diapers for our kids or toilet paper to wipe your ass or washing powder to wash your clothes, food to eat. A lot of us take this stuff for granted because it's just always been here and we just assume that it's always going to be here. But the problem is when you can't find people to work in these stores because they're being assaulted or harassed or whatever the case may be, what are we going to do? Where will we go to get our products? You know, if you need school supplies for your kids, I don't want to have to wait a week for Amazon or however long it takes, you know, because I can't go to the corner Walgreens or Walmart, you know? So, I mean, I, I mean, and it looks like that's where things are heading and it's going to be an inconvenience. I remember when I was a kid, the teacher would give you some kind of assignment and you need a poster board or a ruler or, or markers or something and you didn't have it. So what did you do? I told my parents and I, I need something to, I need a poster board to do homework. They show you out a few bucks. You walk up to the, to the Walgreens and pick up what you need and come on home and do your work. You know, and I don't give a damn how much they automate these stores. You're still going to need people physically in the stores working. Came across this article in uh, Bloomberg. U.S. retail workers are fed up and quitting at record rates. To be a retail worker in 2023 means finding an onslaught of growing American anxieties about everything from high prices to politics. Increasingly, some workers say the job isn't worth the wages. Low pay, erratic schedules, and monotonous tasks have long been a challenge for nearly 8 million American workers in retail. And the pandemic years have added a host of taxing new duties. Employees must cope with an uptick of shoplifting and customer honoriness. They manage online orders and run up and down the aisles to unlock items such as toothpaste. A 2022 McKinsey study found that the quit weight for retail workers is more than 70% higher than in any other U.S. industry. And the COVID years made the problem worse. Before 2020, turnover for part-time retail employees who made up the bulk of the in-store workforce hovered around 75%. Since then, it has shot up to 95% and hasn't budged, which at times has led to understaffed stores. And of course, if you've got understaffed stores, then that means that the people that are working there are going to have to do twice as much and probably already overworked as it is. Yeah, it ain't no probably to it, right? You have a guy here by the name of Demetrius, 17 years old. He worked at the Walgreens in Brooklyn. It says uh, he spent his days tolling as a cashier, janitor, shelf stalker, and passport photo taker. At times, it seems he might have to provide security, too. One time, a visitor came in and demanded all the electronic items behind the counter, keeping his hand in his pocket like he had a gun. Demetrius did as he was told. The guy grabbed the gear and walked out of the store without paying. And they have him quoted as saying, I was like, wait, did I just get robbed? It said the weight of those things eventually drove him out of the minimum wage gig in 2021. And then they have another quote from him saying, I had to quit and take a break from working for like a year just to regain the ability to breathe. And the focus, he said, well, I don't know about taking a year off. I mean, that sounds like um, a guy that just didn't want to just jump right up and get back to work. I mean, you could take a couple months off maybe, but you don't need to take no whole year off. I mean, come on. But he's 17. So, I mean, I probably would have thought the same thing when I was 17. But the point is, I mean, 
people shouldn't have to go through all that grief while working at their job. Yet another employee by the name of Amanda, S-U-K-H-D-E-O. That's how it's spelled. You can figure out how to pronounce it. She was a 20-year-old cashier at a children's clothing store in the Bronx. She found herself frequently struggling to reason with parents, unhappy with the price tags. Sometimes the customers are understanding about it, she says. Sometimes not so much. She, as a cashier, even sympathizes with these parents when she rings up the purchases and sees how much they're paying. And she says, in my head, I'm like, oh, my God, wow, that price is crazy. And by the way, this isn't just unique to the U.S. It says, cost of living crisis have led to reported rises in abusive shoppers and crime in the U.K., Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand. In the U.K., a recent survey of managers found absences on the rise. But U.S. workers tend to have fewer job protections and benefits and less leverage to improve their working conditions. To hear the rank-and-file employees tell it, Working conditions started to deteriorate when they returned to their jobs after mandatory COVID lockdowns. Customers didn't particularly like being told to wear masks and forego free samples, which, by the way, we've talked about that on this podcast, about customers coming in and giving employees grief because they were told that they had to put on a mask. But as health and safety protocols eased, tensions didn't. Then they have a quote here from a guy named Adam Ryan. Uh, And they have a picture of him standing in front of the target. So he's a target employee at Virginia. He says, you're kind of at the mercy of the customers and however they are feeling. You have a woman here by the name of Artavia. She worked at the H&M in Times Square. And she says uh, she's pretty much seen it all. She watched the shoplifter shove one of her co-workers when he asked the guy not to steal items from the store. A manager has had a knife pulled on him when he tried to do the same thing. Artavia herself has been cussed out by a customer whom she asked to remove a drink from a clothing display. The shopper later apologized. She said she's been having a bad day. Well, at least the lady came back and apologized. But she goes on to say she's regularly fielding customer complaints about how much the store prices have risen thanks to inflation. And all that I can say is everything's went up, she said. We don't set the prices. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, a lot of us have to realize, you know, these people are just working in these stores. They, you know, prices are going up, but they paying going up. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, they don't set the prices. So when folks are complaining because they're frustrated, you know, everybody's frustrated nowadays. I mean, it's just so much stuff happening. This is one of the reasons why I talk about a lot of this stuff on the podcast, because like I've said before, average everyday blue collar men and women are really getting the quality of life has deteriorated. And I'm telling you, in my lifetime, I've noticed it, you know, and when people are walking around and they're angry and they're frustrated, you know, and I said this before, I hear these people out here defending celebrities and advocating they want criminal justice reform and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, that's great. But who's out here advocating for average everyday blue collar men and women? We're getting bombarded with all kinds of, I mean, prices at the grocery store. I mean, idiots and assholes just making a commute to work. Then when you get to your job, you're overworked. You know, you're trying to raise a family. Hell, in this city, you're driving your car through the street, just going from point A to point B. And then you got some idiot coming up to you with a gun trying to take your car from you. So it's just so much stuff happening. It's understanding why people are frustrated. But again, these folks working in retail, I mean, they're in it just like we are, you know. 
Well, Silent DJ, well, I, you know what? I'll leave Silent out of this. I'll just use myself. Let's just say I'm chronologically gifted. That's a polite way of saying I've lived some years, you know, and I go back to my days in grammar school, math class. One of the concerns amongst teachers and parents when it came to math, when I was growing up, was calculators. They didn't want you to use calculators to figure out how to do math. They wanted you to use your brain. If you had a calculator in class or if you were doing math with a calculator, that was like the worst thing ever, you know, back then. Like, don't use a calculator. Use your brain. That's what you have it for. That's what we were told. And it wasn't like adults weren't using calculators back then, you know, to figure out their monthly budgets or calculate this and that, you know. But the whole point was you shouldn't be using a calculator as a crutch. There are situations that come up that you need to figure something out math wise and you don't have a calculator. Well, what you going to do? So that was kind of the logic behind that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I was never great at math. Me and numbers just don't get along. <laughs> you know, I have a I have a hard time um, with numbers. Now, my mother is a walking calculator. I mean, she can figure out percentages and square footages and she's calculating prices at the grocery store if they tell you something's on sale and she'll pick up something and look at the ounces and start doing the math in her head trying to see if it's really worth buying it never trickled down to me i didn't have it but i used to and i and i didn't notice until i got older when i was younger and i had math problems and for homework i could take it to her and she would say well you do this and this is how you figure it out and blah 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 i just took it as though she knew it because she was an adult i didn't realize that no she was just gifted with math you know, because a lot of us, I didn't figure it out until I got grown that there's a lot of grown folks out here that ain't great in math. But I'm saying all that to say that calculators back then were a big no-no in math class. Same thing with the clocks, those analog clocks back in the day when digital clocks were starting to become more available where you could just look at the clock and, well, it's 445. But they always wanted you to learn how to tell time on an analog clock first. Now, this is obviously before we knew there were going to be digital clocks all over the place. Cell phones. I mean, you pull out your cell phone. I mean, what, what do they have? They have digital clocks. I mean, ain't nobody hardly. If you, if you see an analog clock anywhere, you almost have to do a double take. Now, some people have watches. And I even wonder some of these people that wear these nice watches, if they can even tell time on an analog clock. Maybe they can. Maybe they can't. And I only say that because if you are of a certain generation, they weren't hardly really teaching you how to tell time on an analog clock. And if they were, you weren't really concerned about it anyway, because you got a digital clock. So that's the only reason I say that. Not that people are stupid or whatever. Not to say that they ain't either, but, <laughs> you know, you know, the little hand is on the six and the big hand is on the four. So what time is it? You know, but I'm saying all that to say that calculators digital clocks, those were big concerns of adults when it came to kids and learning. They didn't want you to just be relying on these things. But nowadays, I mean, with the internet and computers and cell phones and AI technology and this chat GPT, calculators and digital clocks, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's tame compared to what educators have to worry about now. 
it's almost getting to the point where the only fundamentals you need to worry about teaching are how to use this technology because everybody's going to use it because it's becoming so prevalent. So everybody's going to sit around and do, I mean, you got grown people out here using chat GPT to do their work for them. So, you know, if grown people doing it, the kids just going to do the same thing. And I imagine at some point, if everybody is using technology to do their work form, figure out their problems, then technology is going to be getting smarter and people are just going to be getting dumber. And by the way, who are the people that are going to benefit the most from this? The people who are creating this technology, they're the ones that are going to benefit the most from this because if we're using what they created to cheat and take shortcuts because we don't want to take the time or effort to do our own work, now it's all right to use the stuff to assist you or help you out from time to time, but it shouldn't be, but it shouldn't be used to do everything. Now, where am I going with all this? You're going to have generations of people coming up that will be more interested in having their faces in technology instead of relying on their own brains. I came across this article that was in the um, Washington Post talking about students. It says students can't get off their phones. And this seems to be a problem across the country. According to this article, it says schools in Ohio, Colorado, Maryland, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Virginia, California, and others have banned devices in class to curb students' obsession, learning disruption, disciplinary incidents, and mental health worries. When students returned to school during the pandemic, educators quickly saw a change in their cell phone habits. More than ever, they were glued to their devices during class, posting on social media, searching YouTube, texting friends. So according to this article, they're not even using cell phones to help them with their work. They're using them to goof off, basically. It's kind of like the equivalent of if we were in class, silent back in the day. We brought a portable TV and just kind of set it up on the desk and just, you know. Yeah, so that's, what that, so that's what's happening here with kids and their cell phones. Most school systems already have cell phone bans in 2020, according to federal data, but the pandemic brought more urgency to places with lenient rules and lax enforcement. Some schools invested in ways to lock up phones. Others forced students to keep them hidden away with strict penalties for violation. Since COVID-19, many school districts are behind academically up to a year or more and doing all they can to help students catch up. Parents have been split on the issue of locking up phones, with many critics insisting their children need their phones in cases of emergency, which I'm going to tell you, and I don't know what goes on now in school, but typically what if there was an emergency in school or with a student, the school administrators would get in contact with the parents. Or if there was a situation where the parents had an emergency and they needed to get in contact with the kid and the kid was in school. But what do they do? They call the school and, and say, let me talk to little Devin or little Davina because <laughs> I got to relay a message, you know, or you would leave a message with the administrator or, or whatever the case may be, you know, you know, and if you can't trust the school enough to get in contact with you in the case of an emergency, you probably shouldn't be sending the kid there to begin with. But I mean, that's typically the way it used to work. And how many emergencies are you going to come across in the school year anyway? You know, and I know we live in times now where there is a lot of stuff happening on a day to day basis. A lot of which I talk about on this podcast, but the reality of the situation is, I mean, during the course of a school year, most students 
it ain't gonna be a whole lot of emergencies happening. And I'm gonna tell you too, I would be more concerned if I'm a parent, and I know again, this is a different day and age, but if I'm a parent, I would be more concerned that my children are getting educated versus whether or not they can use their cell phone in school. I mean, if you want your kids to play around on the cell phone all day, then why send them to school in the first place? And I imagine one of the things that would contribute to wealth gaps, if you got a percentage of students that are more concerned with goofing off in class with a cell phone, I mean, this is the time you should be learning, whereas you can get smart enough to create this technology yourself. Because again, the people who benefit the most from this are the people that create these cell phones and these social media platforms. I mean, the obsession we have with cell phones is it's baffling to me. And there was a video that came out a few months ago where a teacher was having an issue with a student that had her cell phone out in class and the teacher took it from her and the kid was whining about her cell phone. Give me back my cell phone, you know. And the teacher was like, no, no, I'm putting it up or whatever the case may be. And the student just hauled off and hit the teacher. And then before you knew it, these two got on the floor teacher and student brawling right there in the classroom. And I'm thinking like, if it's that serious, now I don't know what led up to this student getting her cell phone taken away by the teacher. And obviously she wasn't the only one in class that had it because there was a video of this thing floating around. So somebody had to record it through their cell phone. But yeah, so the student just hauls off and hits the teacher and silent. You know, when I saw that video, the first thing that I thought about, you know, the lack of discipline not being disciplined enough to stay off your cell phone at inappropriate times, not being disciplined enough to keep your hands from assaulting a grown teacher, by the way. I mean, this is a student. She looked like she couldn't have been no more than 11 or 12, maybe 13. It wasn't like these were two full grown women. And, and to some extent, the teacher also, because, I mean, she reacted, you know, and it's a human thing. I mean, somebody hits you. I mean, you, you're going to react. Now, typically what they tell you is, you're a teacher under no circumstances are you supposed to put your hands on a student. But I'm going to tell you something, man. Somebody hauls off and hits you. Sometimes people just react. A lot of times you can't think of, well, this is a student. You just react and it's like, oh, you hit me. It's on, you know. You know, so I think that, you know, that's just the human reaction. But and this student had no business. She had no business putting her hands on this teacher, especially over a cell phone. You know, if it's an issue. You talk to your parents when you get home and then let them deal with it, which I guess nowadays the parents are coming up to fight the teachers as well. But, (laughs) you know, but these are just times we live in.
I talked about this a couple of times before on previous podcasts, and I said I was not going to bring it up. But for some reason or another, I kept getting a cycle of news that was kind of coming to my phone. Or, you know, you get these alerts and things or you come across random videos. And I said, well, man, maybe that's a sign that I need to bring it up again. I don't know. But one day in particular, I was getting these alerts coming to my phone from Citizens app. Now, a lot of you all out there might have Citizens app on your phone. Uh, You know, they give you a lot of alerts about news alerts. They give you news alerts about incidents that are going on in your area. And if you live in a city like Chicago, where there always seems to be something happening somewhere, some days you get alerts every five to 10 minutes. Well, a few weeks ago, same thing was happening. I was getting these alerts coming to my phone and it was surrounding traffic accident. Multiple people injured in crash avoid the intersection at South Cicero and Marquette Road in clearing east as emergency units aid the victims. Here's another one. Now, they don't have a lot of details, but here's the headline. Car flipped in front yard. You got another one here. It says car on fire after crashing into wall. Here's another one. Here's another vehicle to flipped over vehicle flipped over blocking traffic. And there are a lot of cars flipping over probably those SUVs. Uh, it says vehicle flipped over stuck on side following collision. You got another one here. Vehicle flipped and crash. Uh, here's an overturned car. A citizen user shows video of police securing the intersection where a car lays on its side in the street. Car crash severed street light. Video shows the street littered with debris after a car took down a street light near 6 p.m. this evening. And again, these were alerts coming through to my citizens app, which, by the way, we're going to start recording a segment on future podcasts. Alerts that come through my citizens app. Now, we've done something like that similar in the past, but it's going to be an ongoing segment in the future because there's just so much stuff that um, so many alerts that come in through my citizens app so much. So to we're going to create a segment around it, but these are some serious crashes, vehicles flipped over cars, crashing into walls. And a thing that I can't figure out. And I've said this before on the podcast is what is going on with people driving these cars. And I don't know if it's a situation where people are driving high or drunk behind the wheel. I know there's a lot more people speeding. I see it all the time when I drive. And like I said before, last time we talked about this, I'm not a person that drives slow, but there is a difference between driving fast and driving reckless. Now, often those two go hand in hand, but there is a difference between driving fast and driving reckless. The traffic is light and the street is wide open. Yeah, I'll hit the gas a little bit, no doubt about it. But if there's a lot of traffic out, car traffic, foot traffic, You got people on these bikes and scooters kind of weaving in and out of the roads, which, by the way, a little sidebar. I don't know why the city of Chicago puts these things out where any and everybody can get on them. And ain't had no rules of the road training, no bike safety training or nothing. They just the city just puts these scooters and things out, and you have all these people jumping on these things and they're weaving in and out of traffic and causing another hazard. But that's a subject for another time. In addition to those alerts, what really made me bring this up again was I was really blown away. And I don't know how many people out there saw this. This thing that happened in 
Well, there were a couple of things that happened. One, this thing that happened out in, was it St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri? Yeah, where this car uh, flew through the air and, and hit a house. And I saw that right around the same time those alerts came to my phone. And I said, man, I mean, a car flying through there. I'm like, what is this the old TV shows where you see like the cars, like the old detective shows where you see the car chase scene and the cars would be barreling through the streets and have these like over the top accidents. I mean, this is kind of what it looked like when I saw it. But Silent, run that clip. Home in Missouri is completely destroyed after a car crashed right into it in the doorbell camera video taken from across the street. Oh my goodness. It literally was flying through the air really fast before it slammed into the house. This was yesterday afternoon in South St. Louis. Five people were inside the house at the time, including a three-year-old who was sitting on a bed when that car came flying through the wall. The impact pushed the bed, but the child was not injured. That's amazing. Everyone in the house survived. The driver of the vehicle was dead, pronounced dead at the scene. Look at the aftermath. The cause of the crash is under investigation. I have never seen a car go that fast into a house. That was scary. I mean, that is really incredible footage. <laughs> you heard the reporter. Silent, did they have her name? No? Okay, well, yeah, the reporter on there, the, the, the lady, she, you heard her reaction. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's an incredible thing to witness. Um, I mean, that's not something you see every day. Thank God you don't. But what the hell could anybody be doing driving that fast so you have that type of crash? And what did they say? There were five people in the house. Yeah, so you're sitting in your home, and here comes a car flying in through your living room. All right, let's play the next clip. Are on top of a house. This one's not a storm story, though. No, 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 no. So it happened out in Clearfield County in Central PA. State troopers say this was an intentional act, but didn't say why. The fire department says the car probably hit a culvert. It's like a miniature bridge for water to pass under next to a driveway that launched the car into the air and into that home. My gosh. Now, now what did that say at the beginning? It was an in, intentional act. But then what you described sounds like an accident. They hit a ditch and the car launched onto the house. Maybe they're going too fast then. I mean, intentional act sounds like I'm going to land my car on your house. I think it was an accident. They're just going too fast. They hit a ditch and it launched the car. Okay. Yeah, and I was listening to them too when she said intentional. I'm like, how is that intentional? Was that like retaliation or something? You know, I'm a, like the guy said, I'm going to run my car into your, your, uh, in your home. Yeah, it was probably just it was probably just a mistake. You know, you got to listen to these news people sometimes because they'll make a mistake. I was watching the news here. There was some incident that happened silent. I meant to tell you this. There was some incident that happened. Um, it was a shooting or a crash or something. It was a shooting and then the car, I think, fled and then crashed. Now, the report said on the news they crashed at the intersection of Addison and Madison. Now. <laughs> if you live in Chicago or if you know anything about Chicago, there is no such intersection. It doesn't exist in Chicago. There is no Addison and Madison intersection because both streets, number one, there is a Madison and there is an Addison, but both streets run east and west. So there's no way that they can cross because they both run in the same direction, you know, and plus not to mention they're so far apart. So I don't know how they made that connection, but, uh, yeah, so you got to kind of listen to what, because these people will make some mistakes, you know.
I mean, I mean, it happens. People are human. We all make mistakes, but Lord knows I've had my share of them and going to have more, you know. All right, before we get started, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button and hit the bell notification for, well, what is that? Wrong platform. Oh, okay. I just said that because everybody, whenever you watch a YouTube video, they always tell you that. Be sure to hit the like and subscribe button and the bell notification. It's like, well, if everybody's telling you that, I mean, you would think at some point, yeah, we get the idea, you know. I want to hear somebody just to be different say, don't hit the like and subscribe button. Damn the bell notification. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever get that, but yeah, yeah, well. Well, summer 2023 is come and gone. And like I always say, whenever the weather's warmer, more and more people come out. And that's more of a chance you have for. Prime example, this story here. Now, this incident happened in Lakeview on a Wednesday morning. Apparently, there were two individuals that got into an argument with one another. And no surprises here. It happened near the red line in the 3200 block of North Sheffield Avenue. And I guess one of the guys uh, had had enough of this argument. So he decided to pull out a knife and he started stabbing the person he was arguing with. And it says the victim was taken to Illinois Masonic Hospital in critical condition. No arrests have been made. Now, God only knows what these two are arguing about. And this article really doesn't give a whole lot of details in terms of what started this whole thing. But it ended up with a person being stabbed and in the hospital. All right, now this next one happened on the west side, 2200 block of South Blue Island Avenue, around about 4 p.m. Now, what you had going on here was you had a 25-year-old man who entered a business where he had been asked to leave several times before. 
So this individual said, you know what? Nope. I refuse to leave. So he refused to leave the business. And that turned into a verbal physical altercation that broke out with a 64 year old man. Now, the 64 year old was a concealed carry owner. He pulled out a gun and fired shots at the 25 year old. And he was struck in the hand and hospitalized in Mount Sinai in good condition. The offender is in custody, according to police. The investigation is ongoing. Well, listen, man, I'm going to tell you something. And this article really doesn't say uh, this 64-year-old man who was a concealed carry owner. I don't know if he was the business owner or what. I'm going to guess that he is. But whatever the case, I mean, what the hell are you doing coming in somebody's business? If they ask you to leave, you know, and it's 25-year-old, I mean, if they're asking you to leave, there's probably a reason they're asking you to leave. And probably because the guy is an idiot. I mean, how are you going to walk in somebody else's business and tell them you ain't leaving? You know, I mean, that's a lot of nerve. And by the way, there was a similar thing that happened when I went to the family dollar back at the start of the summer, I believe it was. Now, it didn't end with a shooting, although it probably could have. But a relative had texted me to ask me if I could pick up a couple of things. And and as I'm walking through the door, I see the cashiers arguing with some guy telling him to get out of the store, get out of the store. You know, you're not supposed to be in here. And blah, 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 blah. And the guy is acting like he's clueless as to why they're kicking him out of the store. They were kicking him out because he was caught shoplifting. And he was told not to come back in the store, which is what they told him when he was acting like he didn't know why he couldn't come in the store, you know, you know, and I'm thinking like, what the hell am I walking into here? So, but guy turns around and walks out. I grab some items, stand in line. And as I'm standing in line, the guy comes walking back in the store again, you know, so now they're yelling at him again. Now he didn't get the message the first time they told him. No, I guess he figured he's going to try to come back in again. So he's really just being an asshole, really what he's doing. Just like this 25 year old in this news story that I just read. So there's a guy working at the family dollar. He comes up, I guess he's stocking or doing something in the aisles. He comes up and he's telling the guy, get on up out of here. They have some words and the guy turns around and he walks out and a few seconds later, he come walking back in again. So now I'm still standing in line thinking, OK, I guess I'm going to be witness to a shooting here. And uh, the guy comes in and he did like they used to say back in the day, selling wolf tickets to the guy that he just got into a verbal altercation with and then turns around and walks back out the door. So you have these idiots like this guy I was just talking about, like this guy in the story. And if you work in retail, you know that you have to deal with these individuals. Randomly, they come walking in and they want to cause problems. But one of the reasons that is, is because of something I always say on this podcast, idiots and assholes come a dime a dozen, especially now in 2023, they're all over the place and they come in and they want to cause other people grief. And there's no wonder why you have so many random shootings going on because these people are running around causing people grief and everybody's walking around with a gun, you get heated, then you want to take a shot at them. All right, now this next story happened. Now this is back in July. Darlington County, South Carolina. Uh, According to this now, it says a BP gas station, a BP gas station located on the 1300 block on West, I'm guessing this is Bobo Newsom Highway, West Bobo Newsom Highway. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. 
And according to this, it says multiple people were fighting inside the store with at least one person armed with a handgun. Now, this article really doesn't go into a whole lot of details in terms of what these individuals were fighting about, but video footage shows basically a melee, people just fighting and trashing the store in the midst of this fight. The sheriff, a guy by the name of James Hudson Jr., said in a statement that this behavior is not acceptable in our society and will not be tolerated. These individuals will be found and held accountable for their actions. And at the time, they did catch one individual, a guy by the name of Kwaishan Woodham, 26-year-old man. It says he was arrested Saturday in connection with the fight. He is charged with high and aggravated breach of peace. But police officials said more charges may be pending. And again, this article really doesn't say what the fight was about. Uh, you got a bunch of people brawling inside a gas station of all places. God only knows. And, you know, that reminds me, Silent, of the thing that we did the last podcast where these individuals were arguing at the Thornton's gas station. And I mean, man, I, what is going on out there at these gas stations where these people are having these altercations, you know? Well, yeah, you're right. It's going on everywhere. And um, yeah, I don't know. All right. Now, this next incident happened in South Philadelphia. Apparently, there was a city worker, 21-year-old city worker. It says he was fatally shot on Thursday morning. Now, apparently what went on here, it says street employees were arriving to do some work in the area. One worker left his car to go into a corner store and grab some water. And for some reason or another, an altercation broke out with someone inside the store, which ultimately led to this worker getting shot inside the store. It says the people that did the shooting then ran from the store. The worker was taken to Jefferson Hospital in critical condition and died a short time later. And you have a quote from Sergeant Eric Grip. He says, this once again goes to speak to the level of violence we see in the city. You'll hear our shooting numbers are down and our homicide numbers are down. And that's true. But still, we are not anywhere close to where we need to be. Things like this should not be happening. Police say they're looking for three juveniles in connection with the deadly shooting, including one who left the scene on a scooter. So you got a 21 year old going to work and he's gunned down by, according to this article, three kids. You know, and I hate to keep saying this because it doesn't seem to do it justice, but it's just really sad. It's really sad that this is going on in our society. All right, we'll do one more. Now, this is kind of similar to the last story. This happened in Waterville, Maine. Police were called to an altercation at a place called Country Kitchen Outlet on Kennedy Memorial Drive. This happened at around about 3.40 p.m. Before police arrived, one man had taken himself to the hospital for a gunshot wound. Authorities said they are not releasing the man's identity at this time. Detectives say the altercation was a continued incident from earlier in the day. Yeah, one person by the name of Christopher McKenna, who was arrested after numerous interviews with witnesses, says he faces a charge of reckless conduct with a dangerous weapon and was taken to Kennebec County Jail. More charges may be pending. And that's really all this article has about this incident. I don't know what this altercation was about. And they said it was something that happened earlier. So it just continued on into the country kitchen outlet store. And they got a picture of the mugshot of the guy that uh, is arrested. He looks like he might be high or drunk or which wouldn't be surprising. 
Well, this is our 10th year in recording the Chicago Grown Folk podcast. First podcast came out January 2013, and here we are 10 years later in 2023, a whole decade. And you know, a lot can happen in 10 years. There have been a lot of changes that, uh, that have happened since we've been recording. And quite frankly, the country is going through a lot of changes as well. But 10 years, I mean, we've been recording for a little while. But what we're doing right now, because this is 10 years, we're just going to do a quick flashback. Now, this particular segment was taken from our 25th podcast that was recorded back in 2017. And I called myself looking at the date, trying to remember. Uh, I believe it was early 2017 that I saw, but it's a clip taken from our odd story segment. What was going on here was there was a preacher, I believe, in uh, I believe this happened in Florida. Now, he's a pastor. And what was going on here was he was engaging in a little hanky panky with uh, one of the church members. And there was a couple of things happening in this particular segment that led into another conversation about something that I saw here with the church while I was channel surfing on cable. <laughs> this is before I cut the cord, you know, uh, you know, everybody cutting the cord now. But uh, I was channel surfing and I came across public access or cable access. I don't know what the hell they call it. Uh, one of those channels and just randomly came across this church show. So we're going to get into this segment and move on. Florida pastor caught with man's wife flees naked. The story goes it's Tallahassee, Florida. A police report says a prominent Florida pastor was forced to run out of a house naked after a woman's husband came home to find him having sex with his wife. The Tallahassee Democrat reports police documents show a woman's husband found her in bed with Pastor O. Jermaine Simmons in the middle of the afternoon on January 17th. The woman told police her husband yelled that he was going to kill Simmons, who fled the apartment naked and hid behind a nearby fence. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> wow. The husband took the pastor's clothes, wallet, and car keys and later agreed to return the items following negotiations with the police. And it says a video posted online shows Simmons asking for forgiveness from his congregation at Tallahassee Jacob Chapel saying you cannot defend sin. Just scrolling down through some of these comments. Uh, somebody says, can I get an amen? Why wasn't the husband upset with his wife? It takes two to tango. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, in his dealings with the parishioners, he's taking a missionary position. Wow. I mean, really? Okay. Come on. Well, okay. So let's, here's a new word everybody's using now. Let's unpack this. Okay. Let's unpack the story. So you're going to church with your woman or your wife or whatever, and you're sitting in church on Sunday, listening to the pastor, giving the word. And he's telling you, thou shall not lust after someone else's wife or, or what did it say? Covet thou, thou shall not covet after someone else's. I mean, I don't know what it is, like, whatever it is. He's up there telling you all this stuff about not living in sin and this, that, and other. And the whole time he's telling you that he's got his eye on your wife, you know, well, Sister Bernice sure look fine. Oh, now with that tight dress on she got sitting in the front pew or whatever. So he's the whole time he's telling you this stuff. He's up there looking at your wife, plotting his move, you know. 
And at some point he makes it a point to go over to her house to meet up. So now what I want to know is if you're a parishioner in that church and you find out that your pastor is engaging in this kind of behavior, I mean, do you continue to go to that church or do you, I mean, what, what do you do? They said he was up there asking for forgiveness. I mean, do you get, do you forgive him or do you say, you know what? Nah, that's a little too much for me, pastor. Pastor, what's his name again? Pastor Simmons. Oh, no, that's a little too much for me, Pastor Simmons. I'm going to have to find me someplace else. And you know, something else I'm curious about, too. If this podcast was set up to take phone calls, I would ask this question. Has anybody ever been in a situation where you're a parishioner of a church and the pastor steps out with your wife or your significant other? I imagine we'll have somebody that will say, yeah, it's happened to them. I mean, obviously it goes on. I mean, because it's here in the story. You know what I mean? So, but I'm curious about that. I was watching one of the public access stations here in the city and there was a church program that was on. They weren't putting on a service. They were just sitting around talking about different things. And it was the pastor of the church and it was the pastor, you know, his assistant, secretary, whatever you call it. And they had a couple of other guests. And they were all kind of just sitting around. Like there was like a church talk show, basically. That's what it was. He had guests. It was a pastor and a co-host and some guests they had some kind of big gala that was coming up that they were having at the Hyatt Regency. We're having this big gala at the Hyatt Regency. It's downtown Chicago, and we want all our people to come out and partake in our festivities downtown at the Hyatt. And we have tickets, and you can purchase your tickets at such and such and such and such. And we're also going to have VIP. That's very important, people. And then the woman says, uh, and then one of the guests says, oh, well, who's going to be a VIP? And she says, oh, well, VIP is, and this is the uh, pastor's uh, secretary or whatever. Well, again, I don't know what the, the correct term is or the correct uh, title. Well, VIP is for people like the aldermen and the pastor's very close friends and politicians and blah, 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 blah. I mean, if I'm a member of your church, And we're all going to a gala. I mean, every picture I've seen of Jesus sitting at the Last Supper, that picture where you see him sitting at the Last Supper with the 12 disciples, there's no VIP section there. I mean, everybody's sitting at the same table. We're all one church. We all sit at one table. Joe Blow so-and-so can sit next to Alderman so-and-so and and Pastor so-and-so can sit next to Joe Blow's sister Bernice or whatever. Well, we have VIP and you have to have a special amount. I mean, that's ridiculous to me. And I'm going to tell you something. If I was a parishioner of that church, that would really turn me off. There was an annual, and it was an annual event, so I, they do it every year. So apparently people don't mind, and they always talk, and, it's, and every year it's sold out, and we have a big thing going on downtown. And people put on their Sunday's best, and they come down to the gala. And, uh, burr, burr. and I get that you put on events for your church, and you do fundraisers and things of that nature. Um, to help the church out. But this business about VIP and all this kind of stuff, I'm thinking eh, that might be a bit much for me. But, you know, but these are the kind of things I guess to go on in church now. And as I've said on this podcast a couple of times before, I even think I said it earlier, I haven't been to church in years. So I don't know what's going on in churches now. You know, and to this day, I still don't know the name of that church, let alone the name of the pastor and the pastor's uh, secretary. I guess, like I said, I don't know if that's the correct title or not, but I still don't know who they were. And I don't even know if the church is still in existence. Uh, I imagine that it is, but I don't know. So here's the thing that always stood out to me about that particular conversation that they were having on that show about VIP and the pastor, I guess, fraternizing with aldermen and politicians. 
I can't speak to what goes on anywhere else, but in Chicago, it's always been kind of known amongst politicians. If you're a politician and you want to get the black vote, what you do is you hit the churches in the city. And that's why whenever it's election time, you'll always see news clips of some particular candidate and he's hanging out at a church. I don't know how they pick the church they want to go to, but in order to do that, obviously they have to go through the pastor first, right? So now here's the thing. I'm not trying to say that these pastors are doing anything wrong when they deal with these politicians, because typically the way things work is it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And if you're trying to get things done in your communities or whatever, well, you got to be able to know folks. Now you can get up there and talk all you want to, but if you don't know or have access to the shakers and movers in this city, then good luck trying to get your neighborhoods cleaned up or your whatever, you know? So if your intentions are good, I'm talking about pastors dealing with politicians. If their intentions are good, then a lot of good can come from it. But if they're self-serving or they're just trying to look out for themselves and their buddies, and that's where the problems typically come in, you know. This story I randomly came across. This is out of Hammond, Indiana. Uh, anybody that's listened to this podcast any length of time, you know that I have a little bit of interest in trains. Well, this story that I randomly came across, and it's a very random story, and it's exploring an issue that residents are having with a particular train blocking their pathway. Now, one of the things that I've often thought about is if you're walking somewhere and you get up to a train crossing and there's a train blocking the way, you know, like it's just sitting there. I mean, do you stand there and wait? What do you do? Now, if you're in a car, you have the luxury of finding an alternate route. I told the story on a previous podcast. Uh, there's a spot out in the western suburbs. I believe it's Maywood. And anybody who's been out in that area, you know what I'm talking about. Around about First Avenue, you're driving out First Avenue. Say you're trying to drive from Washington to Lake Street. There are train tracks there. And this particular train, and this particular train will come and sit and block the uh, intersection. You know, one of these long freight trains, you know. You got two options if you're in your car. You can drive all the way down to 25th Street where there's a overpass or you can go back into what is it? I believe it's River Forest or Forest Park. 
and find the viaduct and go under and then come back up. But either option is not good, especially if you're running late. But I'll tell you this, it's a hell of a lot better than if you don't have a car and you have to stand there and wait or decide if you want to climb over the damn thing and God forbid it starts to move when you're trying to do that, you know. Well, these people in Hammond, Indiana are having the same problem. You have a kid by the name of Jeremiah Johnson and his mother, Lamira Sampson, it looks like. Jeremiah is in the third grade and it says his mother is faced with a choice that she has to make several times a week. They're confronted with an obstacle that they come to dread, a sprawling train parked in their path. And she doesn't really have a lot of good options. It says they could walk around the train, which is about a mile out of the way. She could keep her eight year old son at home or they could try to climb over the train, risking severe injury or even death to reach Hess Elementary School four blocks away. You know, and this is ridiculous. Now, what she has to do, she has to listen for the hum of an engine. When she doesn't hear that, then she hurries to help her son climb the ladder onto the flat platform on the train car. And then she gets up, and once she's up, she helps him scramble down the ladder to the other side. ProPublica and Investigate TV have witnessed dozens of students do the same thing in Hammond climbing over, squeezing between, and crawling under the train cars. An eighth grade girl waited 10 minutes before she made her move. She's seen plenty of trains start without warning. Recent spectacular derailments have focused attention on train safety and whether or not the nation's powerful rail companies are doing enough to protect the public and whether federal regulators are doing enough to make them. And by the way, not only these kids, you also have issues with ambulances not being able to reach patience and time these things are blocked in fire trucks they can't get through and house fires blaze out of control pedestrians trying to cut through trains have been disfigured dismembered or even killed when one train abruptly began moving you had a pennsylvania teenager that lost her leg hopping between rail cars as she rushed home to get ready for prom and again here's norfolk southern it says in hammond the hawking trains of norfolk southern regularly forced parents, kids, and caretakers into an exhausting gamble. How much should they risk to get to school? These trains stretch across five or six intersections at a time. It prevents students and teachers from getting to school in the morning, causing other teachers to watch multiple classrooms while their colleagues wait at the crossing. Kids sit on school buses as they meander the streets of an entirely different city to be dropped off a half an hour late. Uh, and by the way, and check this out here, you have the mayor, Thomas McDermott. It says he's had similar experiences with the rails. When he gets in contact with company officials, they remind him that the rails were here first, running through Hammond before it was even a city. And that's according to the mayor. He says to them, I'm nobody. They don't pay attention to me. They don't respect me. They don't care about the city of Hammond. They just do what they want. And listen, I imagine if this is going on in Hammond, it's going on in other places too. And I don't know why these trains, I mean, if they're going to sit on the rails and block the intersection, like why can't they do it late at night? I mean, if they just have to sit there and I believe, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I heard this some years ago. I don't know if this is true or not, but I believe here in the city, there was a law that trains can't 
block intersections during a certain time of the day. Now, again, I don't know if that's true or not. I remember hearing that some years ago. Don't remember where I heard it and don't even know if where I heard it from was official or not. You know, in this business about the trains were here first. I mean, if that's the best you can do in terms of a response to the mayor of Hammond, Indiana, I mean, that's just not acceptable. Now, and obviously I don't live in Hammond, Indiana, so I'm only going based on what's in this article. Now, there's not a name attached to this quote. And this kind of stuff really irks me. These people live in the community. They're paying their rent. They're paying their mortgages. They're paying their taxes. Is it too unreasonable to ask, like, can I just get my kids to school without them having to risk life and limb? Can I just go to work? You know, you know, you think about all the crap that people had to put up with during the course of the day. Like, like, I just wanted to send my kids to school. And again, I don't know who made this quote, but I guarantee you their kids are not having to risk their lives just so they can get to school. You know, and I can understand every now and then a train might have to block the streets. But according to this article, I mean, this says this is going on several times a week. So it's not like it's happening at random. It seems to me that these people at this rail service, I mean, you know, if they're talking to the mayor like that, then you know they don't give a damn about the citizens. I'm looking out the window. There's a plane that went by and you know how you see these planes and they have like these uh, from down here. It looks like a cloud, like they left a cloud line behind it. Back in the day, I don't know if they still do this or not, but back in the day when they used to do sky riding and the planes would go when they would leave a message in the air, somebody would pay them to leave a message in the air and the plane would go up in the air and write it out. But whenever I look up and I see these planes, and I'm guessing they're dumping stuff or I, I, I don't know what it is because these planes are flying through the air. I ain't no telling what the hell they're dumping out, <laughs> dumping out up there in the atmosphere. But 
you know, what can you do if you, I mean, if we don't know, you don't know, you know. And listen, this ain't conspiracy time. I don't want all the conspiracy people coming and with all these uh, whacked out theories. I mean, I see enough of that stuff on YouTube. I don't need to, we're not going there. So save that for a different podcast. Well, one of the topics that I've brought up on this podcast on occasion are employees who work at establishments and they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. The first time we talked about this, there was a woman working at a, this happened, I believe it happened in Pennsylvania. There was a woman working at a store and she, um, little mom pie store and she was the cashier ringing up fake purchases and fake returns. And then she took the money and went and bought lottery tickets or something or the other and, uh, and hit the lottery jackpot. And then there was another more recent story that I read on the podcast where uh, there was a kid, I think, working at Kroger or something, 18 year old kid, something like that. And he was basically kind of doing the same thing to the point where he had, I forgot. I mean, they said he made a lot of money. I don't remember what the specific amount was, but uh, he was kind of basically doing the same thing, uh, creating fake returns and pocketing the money. And then silent. You remember this one? There was a UPS driver, I think, that was still in. Uh, what was he still in Louis Vuitton packages or something? <laughs> and he was taking them and putting them in his home. So you might have ordered an expensive package and you're at home waiting for it to come. And it ain't showed up because this guy was taking the stuff and detouring and putting it in his home. You know, I mean, we're living in a time now where if you can find somebody that's trustworthy, I mean, it's starting to become kind of rare. And the thing about it, I never really know what goes through these people's heads when they're at these jobs and they're thinking, oh, I can uh, steal this or take that. Or I don't know if they don't think they're going to get caught or if they don't care or maybe they're going to do it once and then once turns into twice. And before you know it, they've gotten so comfortable till they didn't stole about $10,000 worth of stuff, you know. So who knows what goes through these people's minds? Well, yet again. And here's the title. Now, the title of this article, it says another Home Depot employee charged in a massive fraud scheme, allegedly issuing $281,000 in bogus gift cards. And what stood out to me is it says another Home Depot employee. So now what you had going on here, you had a 34 year old woman by the name of Rosa Rodriguez. And it says that she's being charged with participating in a continual financial crime enterprise and theft of a hundred to $500,000. And apparently there were two other employees at home Depot that were charged with fraud prior to her. So she worked at the home Depot on 2570 North Elsa. Oh, I know where this is at too. I know exactly where this is at. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, what this Rosa is being charged with, it says prosecutors are saying that she issued about $900 worth of gift cards. 313 times for a total of 281,000. The scam started in March of 2020. This is right around the time the pandemic hit. So now what wound up happening was someone came into the store and made a purchase of $6,000. Days later, someone else returned to the store and said that that $6,000 purchase was for a tax exempt church. And they brought in the tax exempt letter. See, what happens whenever you work for a nonprofit organization or like a church, when you go to a store and you buy things, they're not supposed to charge you taxes on whatever you purchase. 
And typically what would happen if you work for one of these places, you have a tax exempt letter, you show it to the employee and they take the taxes off. So these people purchased $6,000 worth of stuff. And then they came back in later, probably with the receipt and a tax exempt letter that was saying that, well, this stuff is for a church. You got to give us back the tax money. And what wound up happening was store employee accepted the tax exempt documents and issued the representative a $900 gift card for the tax value. And then it said the same receipt was used for over three years to generate more than $6,000 worth of gift cards, mostly for $900 each. It says some cashiers issued multiple gift cards for the same purchase in one sitting. And some cashiers even had a copy of the receipt stored in their personal phones so they could get issued gift cards by themselves. Prosecutors said Rodriguez issued $49,500 worth of $900 gift cards between May 3rd and May 10th. Prosecutors also accused a guy by the name of Tyler Clark, 25-year-old man, of being involved in the scam while working as a cashier at the company's 4555 Southwestern location. I know where that's at, too, right over there on 45th and Western. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were just in there recently, too, silent. So, yeah, I mean, I know where this place is at, too. Now, this Tyler Clark wound up doing the same thing. It says he used his employer credentials to issue $900 gift cards for the same 2020 purchase, that $6,000 purchase that uh, we were talking about a few moments ago. Well, he's doing the same thing. And this guy did it on multiple occasions. 971 times he did this, costing the company $873,900. Wow. I mean, this guy was almost up to a million bucks a scamming in the company. And, you know, here's the thing that I wonder about when these people do these things. What are these people doing with all the stolen money? Are they investing it or are they taking it and just blowing it on trying to look rich? You know, what do you always see these people going on Instagram with the money phones and all this kind of mess? Opposing in front of expensive cars, holding an expensive bottle of liquor, you know. Is that what folks are doing or are they taking it and like legit investing it or I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm just wondering. And then here's the thing too, that I also wonder is like, at some point you would think that, man, I better cool out. I might get caught, but I guess their mentality is they're going to just keep on doing it until somebody says something, you know, it says the first round of charges in May prosecutor said Lamont Thompson, 49 was one of the customers who presented the three-year-old receipt to receive a $900 gift card at home Depot. And that's when it says home Depot alerted Chicago police on May 5th. Thompson allegedly received 10 gift cards worth $9,000 on May 10th and three cards worth $2,000, $2,700 on May 15th. When police arrested Thompson, he had, and by the way, this is a 49 year old man. When police arrested this 49 year old Thompson, he had 33 Home Depot gift cards worth $29,700 on him. Prosecutor said he is charged with four counts of felony retail theft and operating a continual financial crime enterprise. Two Home Depot cashiers, Christina Westbrook, 38, Sharon Dyer, 46, were charged, were charged with theft in May. Each had been working for the company for about two years. And listen, these folks are talking some major bucks here. I mean, this uh, Sharon, this 46-year-old Sharon, she issued more than 1,500 cards worth a total of $1.3 million since January 1st. She received $30 for every gift card she issued during the scam. 
and when cops caught up to her, she was already carrying $4,420 in cash. Officials didn't explain how the fraudulently issued cards were converted to cash, nor did they say if additional arrests were expected. You know, and, and this article doesn't say this person that came in initially buying $6,000 worth of merchandise for some church. I mean, I don't know if they were a part of the scheme or if somebody got a hold of the receipt, but I'm thinking that if you're buying stuff for a church, you know, to bring your tax exempt letter when you're buying purchases. So yeah, I mean, so I don't know what's up with that. Well, so there you have it. So if you're one of these people that are running around with this receipt from 2020, talking about $6,000 worth of purchases, you might be in a little bit of trouble. I wonder how many of you guys remember, maybe it was earlier in the year or late last year. I don't remember exactly when it was the lottery, more specifically Powerball. And it had a jackpot upwards of $2 billion. Remember that? And I know you guys remember that because if you're like me, you went out and got you a few tickets. Some of you probably got a lot of tickets just to get a chance to get a hold of $2 billion. That's billion with a B. Like I've heard people say, but yeah, $2 billion. Well, all of us that bought these tickets, ain't none of us won nothing. Now, well, you might've won a couple bucks or like $5 or something, but you ain't won no 2 billion, you know? Now the guy that actually won this 2 billion, one guy, I believe his name is Edwin Castro that won this $2 billion. And obviously he didn't get the full 2 billion because you know, you got taxes and God only knows what else they're taking out when you get it in one lump sum. Now, when he picked up this money, he didn't do the press conference. You know how they have these lottery winners and they're doing a press conference and they're standing there holding those big ass checks, posing, you know, with big smiles on their faces or whatever. He chose to remain anonymous. Now, from my understanding, some states allow you to pick up your money anonymously. Some don't. 
So there are some states in this country where if you win the lottery, if you want the money, you got to come to a press conference. You got to answer questions, take pictures and do the whole thing. And then some states, and I believe Illinois is one of those states where you can just pick up the money and people don't know who the hell you are or (laughs) what you look like or nothing. So this guy chose to remain anonymous and you really can't blame him, especially in this day and age. You know, I, I remember some years ago reading about a woman that won the lottery jackpot. Mavis was her name. Now, the only reason I remember that is because I thought about Mavis Staples, right? So I I don't remember her last name, but I know it was Mavis. She won the lottery jackpot and did the press conference and the whole bit. And boy, when I tell you, she had people coming out of the woodwork trying to get money out of her. Now, these folks ain't thought nothing about her before she won this money. And the moment she got it, they came a-knocking. People were hanging around her home. It didn't even get so bad till one guy had even went to the police station trying to figure out where did she stay at. Uh, You had people setting up scams using her name. So there was all kinds of shenanigans going on with people trying to get a hold of this lady's money. So there's good reason when these people remain anonymous. Now, the lottery, I mean, it's good publicity when they see people winning and smiling, holding these big checks. But afterwards, I mean, it can cause you a lot of headaches. And again, even like I said, when I was talking about the Home Depot scams, I mean, the amount of energy and effort these people put into taking someone else's money, it just seems to me like they could figure out how to get it on their own versus trying to take it from somebody else. And even this guy Castro, the moment people figured out who he was, well, what happens? You had a guy put in a lawsuit saying that, oh, well, um, that was my ticket. It was stolen. And from what I remember, according to what I read, it was stolen. The guy said, Well, it was stolen by somebody named Reggie and Reggie took it and gave it to Castro. And then Castro turned around and tried to blackmail the person that's putting in this lawsuit saying that, well, the only way I'll give you this ticket back is if we split the jackpot winnings. And the guy that put in a lawsuit said, well, I'm not going to be blackmailed. And he declined and he decided to put in this lawsuit. Now, the lottery people are saying that we don't believe none of this. We're fully confident that the guy that won Castro is the rightful owner of the ticket. And by the way, it wouldn't be hard to prove because when you go into these places and buy these tickets, they have cameras, you know, so they can track the stuff. So that's, you know, not to mention it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense anyway, because this guy, Reggie, who was the one that was supposed to have stole the ticket, one, he could have just kept it for himself. Why would he be giving it to Castro? And number two, even if that was the case, why would Castro be trying to, to split the money? He could just keep the money himself. You know, I, so it, none of it really makes a lot of sense. But the point is, you have people out here that when they figure out you got money, they're coming for you. So if you can, you remain anonymous. Now, that still doesn't stop people from trying to figure out, well, who is the guy that won this $2 billion? Well, another random article I came across talking about this Edwin Castro. Now, this article claims says the $2 billion Powerball winner is making the worst mistakes financial planners warn people of after they come into a ton of money. And by the way, they got a picture of uh, a guy holding some $100 bills that are on fire. Now, according to this article, it's saying that this Castro is running through California, buying up a lot of expensive real estate. They said he bought a $25.5 million mansion in North Hollywood Hills, the same part of LA where Stars like Leonardo DiCaprio and Ariana Grande call home. 
This particular home has five bedrooms, six bathrooms, a game room, wine cellar, home theater, wet bar, gym, cold plunge, steam shower, and sauna. Then it says after he bought that place, a couple weeks later, he went and bought a $4 million Japanese-inspired house. And if that wasn't enough, it said he also went out and bought a $47 million mega mansion in Los Angeles with seven bedrooms, 11 bathrooms, an infinity pool, champagne room, wine cellar, home theater, and a view of the city skyline. And they said the guy also ran out and purchased a vintage Porsche, which cost around 250000 Now, according to the financial planners in this article, the problem with buying a lot of these expensive mansions is that um, they can be pretty costly to maintain. The value of second or third homes or a mansion is shrinking post-pandemic, and luxury real estate is not known for being a great investment, considering the vulnerability to economic conditions outside the owner's control. Plus, real estate is an illiquid asset, which can become a burden if the owners are careless about managing the rest of their wealth. The annual cost to maintain a home is roughly 1% to 4% of the home's worth. By this estimate, the upkeep of Castro's $25.5 million mansion will cost anywhere from $255,000 to over a million annually to maintain. So that means that at best, he's going to be shelling out just for this place alone, probably upwards of a million dollars a year just to maintain it. Little personal information of Castro has been revealed to the public, such as any jobs prior to winning the lottery, as he chooses to remain largely private. Financial advisors caution lottery winners and anyone coming into large amounts of wealth, whether you're winning the lottery or you're getting it through an error, to consult a financial advisor, tax attorney, and other experts to create a plan. And they have a quote from Emily Irwin. She's a managing director of advice and planning at Wells Fargo. And she says, uh, don't make any visible changes. Don't quit your job. Don't go out and buy a, well, I don't know about not quitting your job. I mean, if you got, um, he got 628 million after taxes, you got 628 million. I mean, damn a job, you know what I mean? But according to her, she says, don't quit your job. Don't go out and buy a Ferrari. Don't buy a mansion. So maybe you have some student loans you want to pay off. That makes sense but try to avoid that mega purchase. Well, good luck with that, Emily, because what's the first thing people are going to do when they win this money? They're going to run out and they're going to buy stuff, which is why a lot of them go broke, but uh, she's cautioning against that. This article finishes up by saying, professional athletes are a cautionary tale of how sudden wealth can disappear. Nearly four out of five NFL players face serious financial stress after having been retired for two years. According to a Sports Illustrated report in 2009, and that figure has only increased. In 2015, nearly 16% of NFL players filed for bankruptcy within the first 12 years of retirement, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research. The lesson here, just chill, don't make any major decisions or big commitments. Let things digest. Again, which is sound advice, but like I said, when people win money, man, they're going to run out and they're going to buy stuff. I know, hell, if I won, I mean, I don't know about all this $45 million mansion and all that, but you, know, you get you a decent home, maybe a decent car, you know, but I mean, I don't know about all this um, big 45 million. And it's always easy to talk about what people will and won't do when you're not in that situation. Now, I mean, I can say that sitting here working a nine to five, but um, I mean, I don't know. And this guy, Edwin Castro, he's in his early 30s. So he's got plenty of time to kind of uh, like the picture in this article, burn through this money. 
but we'll see what happens. And to be honest with you, there's really no excuse with all the information that is out here and all the examples that have come before of lottery winners blowing through their, um, their winnings. If you got any kind of sense, you would try to steer clear from that. But I don't know, Silent, what do you think? You think he's going to run through the money? Yeah, well, I mean, he's got plenty of it. The city of Chicago has a lot of challenges, some of which I talk about on this podcast. One of the biggest challenges the city has facing it, it's had facing it for a little while, is public safety. Now, we just had a new mayor elected in the city of Chicago, Brandon Johnson. Last time I recorded this podcast, he hadn't been sworn in. He was officially titled mayor-elect. Brandon Johnson. Now he's been mayor and and at the time I'm recording this podcast, it's been over a hundred days since he's taken office. Now I gotta be honest, I am not a huge fan of the mayor, but it's one of those situations and a lot of times when I hear these people uh on these YouTube videos, and I talked about this on the last podcast, when I hear these people talk about uh voting for woke mayors and Chicago voters voting for woke mayors and they deserve the kind of government they get because they vote for woke mayors and all this stuff that I hear these people say on these uh, YouTube videos. But one of the things that these people who make these videos don't take into consideration because they don't live here, when these politicians are running for office, you just got to take what's being offered. Now, we had, what was it, Silent? Probably nine, 10 candidates that were running for mayor here. And out of all of those people running, none of them were, in my opinion, really all that great. 
So there really weren't great pickings. And if you're a voter, you got two choices. You can either just sit at home and not vote at all, or you just have to pick, hold your breath and go into the booth and just keep your fingers crossed and vote for somebody. So it ain't like people are sitting around, we're all enthused about the candidates, but if you're going to vote, you got to vote for somebody. And by the way, even if the citizens did want to vote for woke politicians, you don't live here. So what the hell do you care who they vote for? I mean, worry about the problems you got in your own backyard. And then if you don't have any, consider yourself lucky. And again, I'm not a big fan of Brandon Johnson. I did not vote for him, but that doesn't mean I'm rooting for him to fail either. But the guy's got a lot on his plate to deal with. And again, public safety being one one of amongst other things, but one of the biggest challenges that he's going to face during his term in office. Now, one of the things that I've often said on this podcast is that public safety doesn't just fall on the mayor, politicians, all of us as citizens can contribute to making the city safer in terms of, and I'm not saying run, running through the streets uh, with vigilante justice or nothing like that, but I mean, but everybody can do something, even if it's something as simple as just going to work and paying your taxes and being a productive citizen and not contributing to lawlessness. You know, so, I mean, everybody can contribute something to keeping the city safe. If you own property, make sure your property isn't a haven for illegal activity. If you have kids, make sure they're not out breaking laws. You know, there's a number of things that people can do to contribute to public safety. Now, one of the things that have been happening here is guys driving around in cars, looking for people to rob. They roll up on somebody and jump out of a car two or three deep, and then they put a, point a gun at you and they start going through your pockets or taking your personal whatever. Now, one of the things that I do know is nowadays people just ain't walking around with money in their pockets like they used to. I even myself, I can't remember the last time I carried cash on me. So I don't know. I'm guessing these people are taking cell phones and probably taking cell phones and taking personal information. I mean, I don't know exactly what kind of monetary gain they're they're getting. I know that they're taking cell phones because everybody got a cell phone on them. And as I said before, a lot of these cell phones are they ain't cheap uh, credit cards. You know, they're cracking credit cards and this type of thing. You know, I don't know if it was the same group of people or or if they're copycat robberies. But they just recently arrested a group at the time I'm recording this podcast. Now, you had three individuals. Check out the ages. 15, 16, and 17. Three teens were apprehended around 3.20 Saturday afternoon at different locations downtown. They ran around to the, the 100 block of South Aberdeen, the 1800 block of West Race Avenue, the 2800 block of South May the 2400 block of South Wentworth, the 1400 block of West 56th Street, the 300 block of East 48th Street, and the 2100 block of State Street. So these guys were going all around the city. One of the suspects, a 17-year-old boy, was arrested for 11 counts of felony robbery with a firearm and one count of felony attempted robbery with a firearm. A 16-year-old boy was taken into custody on 10 felony counts of armed robbery with a firearm. Felony attempted robbery with a firearm and unlawful possession of a handgun. The third suspect, the 15 year old, was accused of 10 felony counts of armed robbery with a firearm and felony unlawful use of a handgun. 
It says here you have a woman and her family that were packing a moving truck near East 48th Street and South Calumet Avenue when they were targeted by the teens. And they have a quote from a local resident. It says, these guys just came up on them in a car with guns and told them basically to empty their pockets. The resident also said she is disheartened that it happened, but she says she is grateful that everyone is physically all right. You have another resident here that says she's lived in the neighborhood 72 years. She said her neighbor was heading to the grocery store as the armed robbery unfolded. They just slammed on the brakes. They jumped out of the car with guns. He was going to take a picture of the license plate, but the guy turned around and saw him, then pointed a gun at him, according to this resident. West Loop, a shot was fired when the teens tried to take a 23-year-old woman's purse. No injuries were reported in any of the robberies. Now, a couple of questions came to mind when I read this story, and probably the same thing I'm thinking you guys listening are thinking. Number one, where did they get these guns from? 15, 16, 17, and all of them got guns. And the thing that I can never really figure out when I read stories like this is they never quite say, where do these guns come from? They're riding around in a car. Where did they get the car from? I'm going to guess that it's stolen, but this report doesn't say. And by the way, driving all over the city. So how did they get the guns? That's one thing I wondered. Second and more importantly, and this is probably what you guys are thinking as well. Where are their parents? And how the hell do they not know their kids are running around robbing folks on a Saturday afternoon? And I'm going to tell you something, and this is just speculation on my part. I don't know this because it didn't say it in this report. If they're this comfortable to run around and jump out and rob people, they've probably been doing it in the past. Because the parents should be held accountable in addition to these teens. But I'm not aware, and this is when I wish I could open up this podcast to take phone calls from people who are smarter than I am. I'm not aware of any laws that you could hold parents accountable in a situation like this if their kids are running around robbing people. But the parents should be just as culpable because there's no excuse for this. There is no excuse for these teens to be running around robbing people. And quite frankly, it's hard for me to blame these teens too much because, again, if you got grown people running around. Silent, you remember that last podcast we recorded when uh, the pregnant woman ran into a baby boutique and stole a what was it, a $1,700 stroller or something? Now, this is going to be somebody's mother, and she running around, and she running around still in strollers. The scammers, the Home Depot scammers, people in their 30s and 40s, you know what I mean? One, one, 49. So these are the people that are raising these kids. So I don't know that we could expect the kids to be any better when you got the grown people doing it. And again, they got these guns from somewhere.
Well, here we go. No sooner than I open up the mic, I get this alert from my Citizens app. Person shot inside gas station. Police found four shell casings at the scene after two suspects exchanged gunfire. Then they got an update. Bystander killed in gunfire exchange. Police confirmed that the victim, a 29-year-old man, was pronounced dead at the hospital. The investigation is ongoing. Well, like my grandmother used to say when we were kids, the devil is busy. No doubt about it. Well, on a somewhat lighter note, in celebration of our 10th year of the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast, we're going to do one more flashback before we get out of here. Now, Silent DJ picked this one. It was taken from our 24th podcast, recorded at the end of 2016. And I remember this podcast, too, because there was a lot happening around that time. And I think we recorded that right after the, uh, the Trump election. Yeah, you know, for some reason or another, I always seem to remember that podcast because there was a lot of protesting going on around Trump Tower right after the election. You know, people walking around with signs, Trump is a racist or Trump is not my president and all this stuff, you know. And I, rem- <laughs> and I remember saying, well, good luck with that. I mean, he's elected in office now, so you're stuck with him. We're stuck with him for the next four years. And God only knows what 2024 is going to bring. But yeah, I know. Well, but anyway, this is taken from our 24th podcast. And I was talking about something that was happening in this country around Halloween time which I guess that's why you picked it because Halloween is right around the corner. Well, let's get into it. I want to say it might've been about the early nineties, probably around about late September, start of October, the kids in the neighborhood would come home from school and they would say there was a clown chasing. And they always said he was in a white van. They used to say he was in a white van and he would ride around and he would jump out the van and start chasing and start chasing kids. And that was the first I ever heard of such a thing. When I was a kid in school, at least where I was at, I never heard of any such thing as clowns chasing kids home from school. At least not that I can remember. I never heard of that again until the 90s. I never saw him. Nobody I knew saw it, saw a guy in a van dressed as a clown. Only thing that we had to go on was the word of these kids who may or may not have seen this guy riding around in a white van dressed as a clown. But so anyway, that died out. And then some years later, around the same time, late September, start of October, you would hear these kids again, like a different generation of kids now, talking about they were being chased by a clown. And he was riding around in a van. And he would jump out of the van and start chasing people. So I'm saying that to say that I don't know if such a thing existed or not. I never heard of anybody getting arrested for it. And I don't even know of anybody who might have seen. It's kind of like that whole Bigfoot thing where you keep having these people say they saw a Bigfoot. You hear people say it, but it's never been seen anywhere. So that was kind of what it was like when these kids were running around talking about they seeing these clowns. Now, again, maybe they did see it. I don't know. I'm just saying I never witnessed it and I don't know anybody who's witnessed it. And again, it was always around the same time of the year. It was always around September. It was always definitely around October. And the closer you got to Halloween, the more you would hear these kids say they've seen this clown. And then it died out again. And now here we are again, 
if you've been paying attention to the news, here we are again in 2016, and I'm hearing it again. Now, the difference between then and now is that you have social media, and of course, like anything else, what happens is these things start somewhere, and before you know it, you have a bunch of idiots, grown-ass men, and this is what I was talking about at the top of the podcast about grown men acting like grown men. This is why I talked about that, because now what you have, you have grown men who are apparently running around dressed as clowns, people with probably way too much time on their hands, idiots, assholes, grown-ass men, they go out and they dress up like clowns, and they run around and chase kids. Now, for what purpose these people do this, again, I don't know. I don't get the logic behind it. And if you go to the internet and look, I mean, there's tons of these things. Uh, Reports of clown sightings have been popping up in the Erie region and around the nation in recent months. The reports began in late August in Greenville County, South Carolina, where creepy clowns were reported in attempting to get children to follow them into wooded areas. Here you have something else here. Clown sightings causes Overland Park Middle School to adjust classes for the day. Killer clowns, nationwide sightings. Uh, And this thing has gotten to the point where it's so bad where Target is saying now that Target is removing clown masks after a series of creepy clown sightings. Clown sightings, and and this is going on all, and and this is going on, by the way, all across the country. Clown sightings in Arizona, clown sightings in Virginia, Illinois. I mean, it's just on and on and on and on. And we have a little audio we're going to play as well. Now, this is in Tennessee, so we're going to play this real quick. Police are warning people not to walk around dressed as clowns because of the so-called creepy clown craze. WREG's Wayne Carter found out the latest sightings was at a suburban middle school somewhere. Wayne, what can you tell us? Well, Richard, uh, students tell us it's been quite a distraction. They knew this was coming. They saw it on social media and tell us it's really having an impact on in the classroom. Police saying this just has to stop. It's probably just a prank, but social media accounts have been popping up with photos of clowns you might not want to run into. This one saying he planned to pay a visit this week to Schilling Farms Middle School. There's like one clown hiding behind the trees by the portables and like he's... Y'all saw him? Yeah. Sixth grader Anderson Bell says the crazy clown caused quite a commotion on campus. And then we started running. What may seem silly is starting to become an issue. Students at Alsea Elementary in South Memphis reported spotting a clown hanging near campus weeks ago. There was another sighting near Fraser Elementary, robbing kids of classroom time and taking police off the beat to deal with clown calls. Back then, officers told us the pranks could scare the wrong person. You don't want to put yourself in a situation to be hurt when you're trying to pull a prank. Clowns make all of us feel differently. Some parents in Collierville shrugged it off. Man, it is somebody's just wanting attention. That's all. That's, all. That's what it always is. People just always require attention. But others say just the thought of a creepy clown makes them uneasy. It's that movie is by Stephen King. It. Yeah. That movie, I just, that's all I can see when I think of clowns. So, it, yeah, it's, it's very scary. Pranks, jokes, whatever it is, police still ask that it stops. It's, it's raising anxiety. 
And tonight, police sources in several different Mid-South cities tell us that they have had reports not necessarily of people in full clown outfits, but reports of people wearing bizarre clothes that could be associated with clowns. As we get closer and closer to Halloween, they're worried this is going to con continue and do all they can to try to stop it. We're live in Collierville tonight. Wayne Carter, WREG, News Channel 3. All right, so what's going on out here with these clowns? Why are grown men walking the streets of America dressed as clowns? Creepy clown craze. That audio was awful, by the way. You know, a lot of those earlier podcasts, and I've said this before, that audio leaves a lot to be desired. But yeah, that reporter, uh, what was the guy's name, Silent? Wayne Carter? Yeah, I wonder how many jokes he's gotten about his name over the past few years. But the brother said, um, what did that kid say? We saw one clown by the portables. And uh, the brother goes, y'all saw him? <laughs> yeah, creepy clown craze. What we didn't put in that audio, it's on the original, but we just edited it out now uh, for the sake of time. Back in the early 90s, when those kids were running around the neighborhood talking about they were chased by a clown, they said it was Homie the Clown. Now, if you remember back then, and Living Color was very popular back then and homie the clown obviously was one of the main characters on the show and a lot of the kids just gave this clown the name homie the clown now it wasn't like damon wayans was riding around the streets of chicago chasing kids in a clown mask you know but that's what the kids were calling them obviously because they saw it on television so they just kind of gave this clown the name homie the clown was chasing us you know and just like i said in that audio i mean i never saw anybody riding around in a van dressed as a clown chasing kids and i never heard of anybody getting arrested for it so who knows although there are enough weirdos and perverts out here till i wouldn't doubt it but like i said i just i, I never saw it you know and you know silent something i didn't pick up on when we recorded that segment when i was reading those headlines regarding creepy clown sightings across the country there was a headline in there that got past me when I was recording. And I don't know if you picked up on this or not. Something about killer clowns, nationwide sightings. Did you pick up on that? Well, the reason why it caught my attention is because these weren't killer clowns. These were called creepy clowns. Now, somebody somewhere slipped the title in about killer clowns. Now, I ain't heard nothing in that report or nothing in the news about clowns running around killing people. And as I was listening back just now, I wound up Googling that title, Killer Clowns, Nationwide Sightings. Now, most things said creepy clowns, and all of them were back in 2016. However, I did come across one in Rolling Stone that made reference to killer clowns, but it wasn't killer clowns, nationwide sightings. It just said killer clowns inside terrifying hoax sweeping America. And I'm scanning through the article and um, uh, you had something here. You said a mother is greeted by her son who was anxiously waiting to tell her about clowns. He heard whispering in the woods near their apartment complex. And she just took it as his mind was running wild. And then her eldest son said that he heard chains rattling and banging on the door. It says a week later, more reports of clowns were popping up, simply staring at Greenville residents near laundromats. And again, in the woods. Police couldn't locate any of these individuals. It says these things wound up in North Carolina. You had a machete wielding clown 
tried to lure a woman into a wooded area. Parents and children reported clowns leering at them from cars or at the edge of the forest. In Augusta, you had a woman by the name of Holly Brown, and she was saying that um, one of the creepy clowns that was reported was in fact her 12-year-old son with autism who donned his Halloween costume a month earlier. And she stated her son was simply excited about the holiday and meant no harm. Well, come on, lady, you don't watch the news. <laughs> you know, why would you let your child go out? Everybody around the country talking about creepy clown sightings. You got police on the news talking about um, this stuff. Target's pulling clown mask and she's letting her 12 year old son with autism go out the door dressed as a clown. Okay. Well, again, but I'm scanning through this article pages upon pages and there is nothing in here about killer clowns, just a bunch of random clown sightings, a lot of which were unconfirmed. So this business about killer clowns can be filed under clickbait. Well, believe it or not, the holiday season is right around the corner. Now, you just heard me talking about Halloween. Obviously, what comes next is the holiday season. And I saw this article and it actually ties into something I was talking about earlier with retail. Amazon. It says Amazon is hiring 250,000 people for full time, part time, seasonal fulfillment center and transportation roles in hundreds of cities and towns across the U.S. Amazon is the country's leading job creator, adding more than 800,000 jobs in the last five years and is now investing $1.3 billion this year towards pay increases for customer fulfillment and transportation employees, bringing the average pay for those roles to over $20.50 per hour, a more than 50% increase over five years with some locations offering as much as $28 per hour. So Amazon is out here paying folks. And by the way, now I'm going to tell you, this is on the Amazon website that I'm getting this off of. 
and I'm noticing all the photos. I got people smiling while they're, <laughs> while they're working. So they're going to put a little extra sauce on it, you know, but that's according to Amazon, they're paying some places are paying up to $28 an hour. And they have a quote from a guy by the name of John Felton. It says he's Amazon's senior vice president of worldwide operations. Whether someone is looking for a short term way to make extra money or hoping or hoping to take their first step towards fulfilling a rewarding career at Amazon, there are roles available for them. And by the way, they're also overhauling their delivery service to improve one day delivery, less than an hour delivery. So Amazon is really paying attention to what's going on in terms of what's happening with retail. Now, here's the thing. I'm not, I don't even have an Amazon account. So this ain't me up here trying to advertise for Amazon or nothing like that. I'm just saying this is what's happening. And when I talked about retail earlier about stores closing and I don't want to have to wait a week for Amazon, well, they're picking up on what's going on in the retail space because retail is hurting in this country. And I mean, the writing's on the wall. A lot of these stores are closing. I mean, how many stores have closed within my lifetime? Sears, Kmart, Montgomery Ward, Toys R Us, and even places like Walgreens are closing stores. Walmart is closing stores. So Amazon out here is saying, listen, we're going to be the future of retail, buying stuff online, same day delivery, one hour delivery. And you got to pay people. I mean, you got to pay people. If you want to pull the stuff off, you got to put some money in folks pocket and make it attractive for them to want to come and work in these places. So, so listen, you guys can take what you want from that. I just thought it was interesting that while I'm reading articles about retail suffering, here's Amazon saying that, listen, we're here and we're doing very well. And now I know why I see so many young brothers and sisters out here working at Amazon. Cause, uh, I mean, $28 an hour, that, that's nothing to sneeze at. When I was younger, I worked at UPS seasonal. This is around the time silent when Biggie had that line, don't be mad, UPS is hiring. Well, they were hiring because <laughs> I wound up getting the job, a seasonal job working at UPS right down here on um, Roosevelt, right off of uh, Canal, the big one here in the city. Yeah, and uh, I got to tell you, man, that was not easy work. I was packing the trucks and it just, those packages kept coming. And the thing about UPS, when I had worked there, I don't know if it's still like that now, you can't just pack the trucks any kind of way. They want you to pack them a certain way. They said it has to look like a, from what I remember now, this was, geez, how long ago was that? Back in what, 94, 95, make a T shape with the spaces or whatever, when you put the boxes in. So you had to pack them a certain way. There was a method to it. So when these trucks are driving, wherever they're driving to, packages aren't just flopping all over the place. You know, they want them packed a certain way, you know, and that, that conveyor belt, man, I'm going to tell you, you had to pack them and you also had to make sure that if you're loading a truck that's going to Kansas, you have to check the zip code. So while you're packing, you got to check the zip codes and make sure that it's whatever the Kansas zip code is. I don't remember, but you got to make sure that you're putting packages that are going to Kansas on the Kansas truck. You don't want to put a package that's going to Chicago or California on the wrong truck. So you got to make sure that the zip codes line up too. You know, and sometimes they would try to test you to make sure that you're paying attention to the zip codes, you know, you know, and they offered me a position after, but uh, I had my sights set on other things at the time. I, I wouldn't think about staying there long-term. Well, before we get out of here, the last podcast, I made a reference to an artist by the name of Sylvia. 
Silent, you know I had to do this track that she had called Pillow Talk. Well, ironically enough, every so often I cut on the old school stations here and uh, and I'm going to tell you exactly when this was. It was around the 4th of July and I'm listening to old school. Got the barbecue going and a record by Sylvia comes on. Now, it wasn't Pillow Talk. It was the other one that I had kind of forgotten about that she had called um, Sweet Stuff. And I said, man, that bass line. I don't know who was playing bass on that uh, record. Yeah, play that bass, right? Sweet stuff. Come on now. <laughs> hey there, sweet stuff. about this particular artist I just know those two records and they sound very seductive and I don't really know around the time these records came out but I've heard them randomly throughout the years and you really don't hear a lot about this particular artist Sylvia so I don't know a lot about her She just, ooh, huh. You're getting to my imagination. Come here, sweet stuff. Got a minute or two for conversation. Sweet stuff. Ah, ooh, ah. Ah. I mean, they're killing that bass, ain't they? All right, all right, that's enough of that. Well, you know I had to do it, Silent. Yeah, well. Well, we've come to the end of another podcast. Podcast 49, another one in the books. And listen, and I say this every podcast, I really want people to be safe out there. I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on. I talk about this all the time on the podcast. You know, and and I say that because we just saw a couple of videos while we were up here recording people getting shot at gas stations and 
you know, and typically I don't watch stuff like that. I don't like to take that type of energy in, but I'm just saying that to say that people will be cautious, be careful, be safe. And like I always say, if you go somewhere and the vibe don't feel right, leave. Don't stick around. Don't second guess. Trust your mind. Trust your instincts because that's what you have them for. And of course, you got to stay away from idiots because an idiot can get you in a lot of trouble. Take my advice on that. We're going to try to get one more podcast out by the end of the year. But don't hold me to that because whenever I say that, it never happens. But hopefully we can. But until whenever the 50th podcast comes out, we want to see you guys there. So for the silent DJ, I am E. This has been the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast. Another one in the books. And we are out.
That's the end.